The Commonwealth Club of California congratulates the class of 2021. We know how much you want to stay connected with the issues and influencers that matter most. That's why we are offering all high school and college graduates in the class of 2021 a free one-year membership to the club. From politics to social justice, climate to pop culture, membership at the Commonwealth Club opens up new worlds of learning and the chance to interact in person and online with today's headline makers and people like yourselves who care about what's going on in the world. Claim your free membership at commonwealthclub.org slash grads. And join us. We look forward to seeing you at the club. Welcome to the Michelle Miao Show at the Commonwealth Club of California. I'm John Zipperer, the club's vice president of media and editorial, and Michelle's co-host for this program. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, Commonwealth Club of California is a 118-year-old nonpartisan, nonprofit organization dedicated to the civil discussion of important issues of the day. Any views expressed are those of the speakers. We're producing hundreds of programs a year, even during the pandemic, Head over to commonwealthclub.org slash MMS for all upcoming programs, plus podcasts and videos of past events. And keep your eyes, uh, excuse me, keep your eyes open for the rollout of our new Michelle Miao newsletter. Now, if you're watching us live on YouTube, use the chat box to submit questions and we'll work them into our conversation today. Now it's my pleasure to introduce Michelle Miao. She's the producer and the host, of course, of the Michelle Miao Show and a member of the Commonwealth Club's Board of Governors. Good to see you again, Michelle. Thank you so much, John, and thank you to all of you for joining us this afternoon. If you're joining for the first time, the Michelle Miao Show is your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. This afternoon's program is COVID-19, India, and the transgender community. Although we're talking about India, the transgender community, and, and also the United States and support, I know that COVID-19, the Delta variant, it's all on our minds. So I hope you are staying safe and looking for support in all the right ways. Let me introduce you to our panel today. We have Anjali Rimi, who is the founder, president of Parivar, San Francisco Bay Area. I'm sorry, San, Parivar Bay Area. Parivar Bay Area focuses on driving transgender, gender nonconforming, economic justice, and LGBT inclusion within the South Asian diaspora. Parivar Bay Area also has been leading global COVID relief efforts, including in India, the United States, and Canada. She oversees hashtag Sital, which is Save Indian Trans All India Lives, a pan-India project to provide critical relief efforts to trans Gajira people of India. We also have Rashana, who is a Hyderabad-based transgender rights activist. She is the chair of the hashtag Sital Save Indian Trans All India Lives project, currently leading COVID-19 relief efforts across India. She is currently the, the director of the Human Rights Law Network, HRLN, focused on rights of LGBTQI people. And then finally, we have Devish Ratchakrishnan, who is a cis gay Indian immigrant who has been affiliated with Parivar since 2019. As a member of Parivar's advisory committee, he has participated in planning and supporting multiple events for the organization and facilitates Parivar's biweekly support group, Rubaru. Thank you all for joining us this afternoon. Before we begin our conversation, we have a short video for you. 
Parivar is really centered in uplifting South Asian trans, gender non-conforming, intersex, hetero communities within this diaspora, especially rooted in India and the South Asian countries around. CETO stands for Save Indian Trans, All India Lives. And it is a pan-India grassroots effort to save as the name says, the lives of trans hijra folks in India who are already very marginalized. And during these crises of the COVID virus becoming very rampant, they have been further marginalized, further isolated, further neglected. Our food kits typically contain 10 to 15 kilos of rice, 10 to 15 kilos of flour, masalas, chili powders, salt, lentils, tamarind, jaggery, and our medical kits provide the protection they need with sanitizer, with masks, with vitamin C and multivitamin tablets, and extend to providing oxygen tanks, makeshift hospitals, and isolation spaces for trans folks who can never access healthcare, hospitals, or a medical professional. And hence, Seetal is a long-term effort of Parivar Bay Area that aims and visions to collaborate in building healthcare equity, information equity, financial equity, economic equity, and most importantly, culminate into us building the largest trans shelter in India. When you make a donation... We reach out to the local community leader and we send this money over to them. They pack the food kits, then holds a distribution site, a drive, where pre-registered folks who have been already identified and provide us with their information, whether it's their phone number or other card number. And those folks are asked to come to this drive and the medical and the food kits are given out to them. We have done hundreds of such food drives and the process is very much fully driven by Seetal warriors who are almost all trans people, mostly trans women, who have put themselves on the front lines to protect their own. Parivar Bay Area continues to exist in the San Francisco Bay Area. We have built community and will continue to build community, whether it's our support group, Rubru, that brings together South Asian folks to openly share and be vulnerable amongst each other. The final thing I'll say about Seetal is it is a strategic initiative, something that grew from a need of the community. But our community is not liberated until each one of the trans hijra folks of India have stable housing, have sustainable livelihoods, have respect in this community and deserve all the dignity that they are very rightfully owed. Parivar Bay Area have started a crowdsourcing online to save the trans lives of India. I kindly request you all to donate money on this online campaign to save the lives of Indian trans people. Thank you so much and welcome everyone to today's conversation. Thank you for all the work that you do. Why don't we begin by giving some context to the state of the movement right now or the current state of India and COVID-19 and then also add the current state of uh, transgender people in India facing the COVID-19 impact. Rachana, do you want to begin for us? 
Yes. So um, we already have seen the transgender people mostly from India have seen a very uh, tragic, you know, uh, environment and also uh, exclusion during the COVID pandemic and also during the lockdown. Many of them doesn't have the social entitlements, the basic social entitlements like food cards or identity cards in the gender which they are living in. So this hampered a lot of the state support to be given to the marginalized and in which the trans people are mostly marginalized because of their gender, you know, stigma and discrimination. So in first wave itself, we have gathered the civil society's help to help our trans people and we trans people ourselves move out of our house during the lockdown, taking the police permissions and driving the vehicles and reach the door to doors of our trans people and reach these food kits and medical kits to them. The second wave has been exclusively very dangerous in terms of infection and because most of trans people have been densely into a small uh, room and uh, areas and they have been uh, highly infectious and vulnerable to COVID infection. And in the second wave, apparently there was no such help uh, for the food kits and also medical kits because the virus has been uh, you know, spread uh, vigorously. So we have to take precautions for ourselves getting vaccinated. We have our healthcare, trans healthcare providers and also frontline workers who have get them vaccinated. And along with their help, we have been reached the ground there are lots of lives which have been lost for COVID, but still very consistently, strongly, we were able to reach the tribal and the remote areas of India. And starting from uh, Jammu and Kashmir to the down south Pondicherry and the northeast, almost all the states to the Rajasthan, we were able to reach 25 states of India where we have able to Cater uh, uh, approximately one lakh sixty one crore sixty lakhs, you know, Indian rupees worth of food kits and, and also medical kits in time, uh, which are very useful, much use, useful to our community or uh, who belongs mostly to the working class and mostly dependent on baking either or sex. Anyone would like to add to Rachana's comments? Yes. Um, thank you, Michelle. And thank you, Commonwealth Club. Thank you, John, for having us here today. Really grateful for this opportunity. I'll just add, give you a macro level of India. As with you know, how America faced the initial months, there just was no time to react. You know, the, the second wave hit like overnight. And Harivar is a small grassroots organization. You know, we are based in San Francisco Bay Area. And we look up to Rachna. She's been doing this work for 20 years in India with HRLN. She's now leading as a strategist for the first trans clinic in India. She's been the guidance for us. But when, so with that, Parivar was doing entrepreneurship projects with four organizations, four. And when the second wave hit, we had hundreds of folks reach out to us and we have helped over 70 organizations with this CETL effort. See, the, the country was grappled with a lack of oxygen supply, with a lack of access to hospitals. And it only further marginalized trans, hijra, non-binary code, the 
Tirunganal and all other marginalized folks, homeless folks, elderly folks to be able to even access the basics, like we even able to get vitamin C. The other aspect of it is as we are emerging from it, it was vaccine, vaccine equity. You know, vaccines were originally decentralized and it was very becoming very difficult. And now vaccines have been centralized and the central government is handling them. And we've been able to get those vaccines. But 0.25% of all trans folks in India are vaccinated as of three weeks ago. That is because of what Rachna is mentioning. Like there is no data. So even when the central government reached out to us and said, could you dispense 1500 rupees to each so each person we didn't have that information or they didn't have that information so we just don't know how bad the numbers are but you know it was grief that just got compounded for the trans hetero folks in the second wave CETOL's uh, got I mean it's really an impressive array of, of goals and, and projects or efforts that you're doing how, and this could be a question for all of you, each of you, I'm not sure, but was it difficult in, in getting that project off the ground and getting attracting funding for it? How did you go about doing that? It's very impressive what you've pulled together. Maybe I'd say a lot of that morphed overnight and there was a lot of, um, a lot of grass, this Parivar being a grassroots organization, there's a lot of effort that um, Rimi and Rachna and coordinated and put in um, and several sleepless nights that Rimi has put in uh, personally in trying to ensure the success of this because it was a need, as Rimi mentioned, it was a need that was identified and, and when no one was going to step up, it was just obvious that, uh, you know, for Rimi to take the mantle, design the program and work and with Rachna and Rimi working together, coordinating, designing and executing a lot of this because um, it was so widespread and so quick. March through May, it was, there was almost every single person um, that we know of, you know, was affected in some way or the other because of COVID. Every single person in India was affected in some way or the other that we know of because of COVID, either because they knew someone was affected or they knew someone who had passed away. So it was both personal and at the same time, it was a public loss because we were trying to grapple with this at a very large scale and also at the personal scale. Um, and in the midst of all of that, the CETAL initiative was driven through you know, just sheer hard work, grit and passion that Rimi and Rashna brought, brought in. When the United States started covering you know, the situation in India, lots of folks of South Asian descent here in America started to mobilize in the way that you have. Um, but, and, and at the same time, you know, what's interesting is that when we talk about America and our access to vaccinations, right, it's still like we're under 50% of the entire country fully vaccinated. Uh, but we were trying to build an equity model here in California, at least, like who gets vaccinated first and so forth and so on. In India, you touched on it a little bit in kind of what might be what is dropping the ball with who gets the vaccination. But if you could go into a little bit more detail of how that affects the transgender community with regards to equity and access to the vaccines, 
that would be great. Thank you, Michelle. I think we, before we go to vaccines, we have to take a step back and recognize that trans people all over the world, queer trans people of color, are not centered in equity building for their lives. And before the second wave hit us so hard, Parivar drove three trans GNCI QTPOC-centered vaccine drives, you know, in, in, with San Francisco AIDS Foundation and in Oakland with APEB. But the story in India is just 100 times magnified because you have lack of information equity. So there's no way to access or reach these folks, even if the most intentional, most desired person wants to do that. There is no healthcare equity to begin with. They, I mean, there isn't condoms and lube for regular sex workers to stay safe. So every time, and I've heard this firsthand, every time they go to get tested, they just pray they're not HIV positive. They just pray they're not HIV positive. And if there's an emergency, there is just no access to hospitals. We have lost a lot in our community. And I try not to get emotional, but we lost a young trans girl who is Rachna's granddaughter, like we live in that system. She was finishing her medical school. She was sick. In the middle of the night, she had recovered from COVID. We took her around to seven hospitals, not one, not two, seven hospitals. And at the eighth hospital, she had a stroke and she died. So when we get to vaccine access, you know, they need, uh, we need an ID card. We need, you know, to have focused ways to be able to have them even walk in before people shun them away, if not do more drastic and violent things. So it has been rather difficult. Um, but I will say that as we moved from a recovery and relief effort to rehabilitation and vaccine drives, we did see that the central government stepping up really helped getting these vaccines to the people. They had very focused drives. Uh, Rachna actually led two marginalized people uh, drives uh, in Hyderabad, one of the largest in the country, not just for trans folks, but trans folks, PLHIV folks, homeless folks, street beggars, and elderly folks that have been orphaned by their kids. And so those kind of efforts have helped, but this large population that still is not vaccinated across India, and the trans population obviously is um, over-indexing within that population. And, and Rimi, you mentioned uh, that the, a lot of folks who don't have enough information, maybe there's a question for Rachna. I mean, here in the United States, we, we are dealing with a lot of misinformation, um, both from ignorance as well as, I think, from malevolence, people who are purposely spreading anti-vaccination information. Is it similar in India, or are you actually better off than we are in that respect? So, in India, the, uh, the scenario is something different because there are a lot of myths and misconceptions around vaccine. So, we need the health experts to move on to the fields, actually. So, uh, so the, though the India has shown the world the culture of like being success in vaccination program, but there are a lot of inhibitions within the culture also to take this so-called, you know, vaccine. And there are different forms, different names, and, and, and there are different, you know, uh, inhibitions also within the communities. 
So we, as like I have done four vaccination drives across Telangana, and where uh, we, our trans doctors, have played a vital role. We have taken them to the fields, and we have sit in a support group meetings, and we sensitize them that you have to get vaccinated because you are into the super spreaders group, which the government of India has, you know, identified as one of such groups. Like transgender people uh, may be part of super spreaders. So that actually worked a lot. That actually helped a lot, like to mobilize our transports to the, the vaccine drive camps. And apart from this, the transportation has also been uh, a challenge for transports because um, often there are lockdowns, there is no livelihood. The trans people in India depend on daily begging or sex work, and that's how they earn their livelihood. And there is a partial lockdowns and also night curfews, which hamper the livelihood actually. So we need to mobilize money for the transportation also whenever there are drives, and that's how the, the it's it's a multifaceted program where the donors ensure some money for the transportation. We engage the vehicles, we sensitize our folks, and we get them in time their vaccine. So that's the hardships we have. Speaking of misinformation, I mean, at least here in this country, we have the opportunity to voice our opinion, voice our thoughts, um, and for the most part, not fear retaliation in some countries for speaking up against, you know, leadership, elected leader, the politicians, you can get in trouble. Um, What's it like in India to criticize the government in its handling of COVID-19, but especially, you know, for the transgender community? I'm smiling because Vachna has gone up against so many governments. She's been leading so many PLAs, which is um, Petition for Legal Action, as it's called. Um, So I will yield the floor to her to share more. So in first wave, we have actually filed eight public kindred litigations in eight of the states. So every single high court has ordered the government to get the list of the trans people and in respect of any such identity to provide ration, medicines, and also HIV medicines to trans people. So those are the historical, you know, judgments within the high courts of eight states. And also we have a Supreme Court uh, uh, judgment for uh, not only for trans people, but also all the marginalized to provide food and also medicines. So what I feel is like it's, 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 Beaten pieces, we need to analyze everything, every politics, actually. It's, it's often like see, we feel like that we are attacking the states on a political agenda, but it's, it was never like that. Our agenda was in front of the trans rights now. It's not the political rights were like, you know, our political agenda for trans people. And though it has been interpreted in such ways in many platforms, saying that so-called uh, human rights activists are, well, you know, uh, are volunteering some political parties, but I always in various platforms defend this cause, saying that we are in front for leading the trans rights on lines of human rights perspective. So that's how we uh, often take the neutral, you know. Um, um, 
aspect and a neutral role in and in advocating the trans rights. It, it sounds like it can be a bit of a tightrope to walk sometimes. Um, of course, the the national government is, is a is a the Hindu nationalist or, uh, party under uh, Prime Minister Modi. Are there differences in regarding transgender rights and, and transgender pro programs between the major parties in in uh, India, or is it are they kind of the same? So there are different views. Uh, and it and and the fight for the transgender rights actually started in 2014 when the Supreme Court of India has came with a historical judgment uh, in the case of Nalsa versus Union of India. Uh, after this case, the central government came with a bill called Transgender Persons Protection of Rights Bill in 2016. The actual war started, the battle and the trans movement started from there for making a for demanding the rights or the bill to be on the lines of the historical judgment given by the Supreme Court of India. So on various lines, this so-called bill has been gone on the face of, you know, the judgment. So we as a platform, and we have done national and international protests to just change this bill. And there are 27 such clauses, which has been brought down to seven uh, till the bill become an act in 2019. So, uh, so there are a few changes to, to be done, but we haven't left, uh, uh, let the battle end over there. We have been consistently challenged this so-called act in the Supreme Court of India. And after that, the government has rolled down the rules. And those rules are also have been a lot of, you know, a violation uh, in terms of constitutional rights of India. So we have been consistently struggling to make the state understand what is the priorities of the working class transgender people rather than politicizing the whole trans movement actually. That's a very difficult task to do because in India, the Hijra community has, become, has been the role model for non-communalizing actually. So the Hijra community have been never communalized. It has been the epicenter of all the religions, all the caste, all the class genders and you know classes so that's how we as a community have consistently unitedly kept the values of the indian culture so we cannot be departed on the basis of some political party or some political agenda this may seem like a little bit of a trick question but you know We've learned throughout this process, this pandemic, in the importance of us, like community people coming together. It's not relying on the very powerful or even our elected leaders to save us. We have to save us. But I realize, like, you know, who exactly is the us? Who can you reach out to? Why is this relationship so important? between, you know, the United States, um, American trans community, LGBTQ community, and everyone else who would support communities outside of the United States in this particular conversation, India. Davish, would you like to answer that, start us off at least? I know all of you probably have some thoughts. Sure. Um, I think we often, um, sometimes the word community does get bandied about uh, you know, in the sense that what 
what does it mean to be a part of a community it's is it if we look at it from a relationship of are we just taking things from the community or are we giving back are we yielding it and this can be both at the local level at the national level or at the global level like how do we define being members of this kind of a uh, be of any community that we are affiliated with within the trans movement um, a lot of for i'll speak from one lens which is of the south asian um, queer lgbtq folks uh, who live here in the united states many of whom had to deal with the dichotomy of realizing we could have access and we could use our privilege to get vaccines to live our lives to go around without wearing masks here while watching on the screen on a day to day basis our fam- our families relatives people we knew suffering back in india back in other parts of the country but back in other parts of the world where there was no access to vaccines um our immediate thought often goes back to our sense of oh let me support my family let me see how i can get access for people in my immediate circles um but for us as queer folks you know also thinking about not just our immediate birth families but also chosen families and saying how can we get those access how can we get similar levels of access to people in other parts of the world who do not have that level of access how can we use our privilege and our knowledge here in the bay area to enable delivery of vaccines to enable delivery of medical kits to enable delivery of these kinds of much needed supplies and food supplies to trans folks and i i think that sense of global solidarity if i may call it so comes from the sense of being or belonging to something greater than just ourselves in you know our small cocoons or like you know small microcosms that existing on a much broader and larger scale um and the sense of not just taking things from a community and benefiting from it but also giving back and yielding to that community so that helping others building up others and helping them grow that's one thought yeah i will just add to that and say this is important because i'm a stranger from a different shore i i'm from india i went around looking for a home to belong to a community to exist in whether it was in the US or in Canada you know i i tried to find that home so this is very important for any human being because we all have really come from elsewhere and i think the pandemic has destroyed lives but the silver lining is it has made us a world that's boundaryless and that has happened because people have stepped up they didn't look for the agency or the government to show up and help them they just you know uh took charge and it becomes important because we are redefining the definition of community because in the past community could have been like community center it could be place based and it could it can also very quickly become very coercive and very limited because we like to be in community with like ones but trans folks don't have community by default they have to work extra hard queer trans folks don't have community so i think it's very important that this kind of work happens and you know let's let's draw a line across the map and you will see that the disparity and inequities of marginalized folks of queer trans people of color happens greatly in the global south so it is about time the americas and the europe's really show up for the rest of the world so each one of us can have an equitable life 
And that also is kind of like what has happened here with Seetal and with Parivar. You know, we didn't reach out to um, many organizations. Um, we just went grassroots and overnight we raised over $10,000 in GoFundMe that got the attention of New York Times and then we got featured in there. We're sitting at $110,000 of that GoFundMe. It might look like a lot of money and a lot of dollars, but it came from folks who understood that struggle to exist with their cultural ethnic identity along with their queer sexual diversity as well in, in most part. But it also resonated with all those immigrants within the South Asian diaspora of other or other diasporas. We had folks reach out to us from Africa and support us. You know, it's, it's just beautiful to see that this has really made us realize that we are all global citizens and we need to live in that one community together. Uh, could you talk, talk a bit more about the, we, we've mentioned briefly the first trans clinic in India, that project. Tell us a, a bit about that it, and, and you know, when and where and, and how. So, uh, so I'm like going off the protocols of UNAIDS because this is an initiative of UNAIDS and John Hopkins University, which landed and the Voyage Care, the Yeshwantra Gaitonde Trust, uh, with their help, like the first transgender clinic has been initiated in India. Uh, and this so-called, so uh, the health of transgender people has been always a challenge, you know, universally. So there is, uh, there is a, a lot of stigma and discrimination when trans folks visit the, you know, mainstream healthcare facilities. And that's, that's more in India. So with the with the stigma and discrimination, many folks are untreated of simple ailments and also long-term ailments. So that has raised a risk of less mortality within the transports in India. So this so-called transgender clinic has been initiated with three modules of treating the HIV and STIs as a basic you know, object to treat them. Uh, and the second objective is to help the transition needs of transports. There are a lot of transition needs, starting from hormone therapy to the surgeries and to you know, uh, all sorts of you know, um, uh, therapies. And apart from these two helps, the final motto is to do the non-communicable diseases, to uh, attend the non-communicable diseases like diabetes, hyper, uh, thyroid, hypertension, and all other such long-term ailments. So this so-called clinic has been designed for a comprehensive health care of trans folks. I want to go back to something you all have mentioned, the importance of our cultural connection, especially for folks who live here in the United States. What CETOL has done could serve as a blueprint for so many of us who are diverse here in America. So for example, um, if you're Thai, you've got to be thinking about your family in Thailand who are suffering their third wave. And does it seem like, you know, the vaccines are getting to everybody, especially the vulnerable population? Um, what do you think? Like, you know, could we take this model and apply it to several other countries for our communities that we care about? That's a great job. Uh point to raise, Michelle. Again, we didn't have a blueprint uh, and we didn't plan out on this journey to do this. Parivar was a grassroots movement, you know, given 
our experience of ex trying to exist as South Asians within the LGBTQ community. And um, we have now been able to showcase a template uh, twice over. So Parivar led the SF LGBTQ Bay Area COVID Relief Coalition, which was of 21 organizations with the Office of Transgender Initiatives, Turnout, Elapara Trans Latinas, and we raised over $200,000. And so we had a template from there nationally, or you could say, you know, US-based. And then we had to get into this mode of planning and putting a process together. Everything has an SOP and a process. That's probably how Rachna and I operate. We want to standardize so we don't have to rinse and repeat. So this template has worked and we have actually been reached out by folks in other countries. So we just started relief efforts in Guyana about three and a half weeks ago for a group of trans folks who have been impacted by the severe flooding. We've been reached out by foundations to help, uh, help be part of this, um, this mechanism we've built and lead that mechanism to dispense funds or resources across the world. Again, remember the top, the North needs to help the South. So I think it's a great template. Again, we are not experts and we are not claiming that we have, you know, trademarked any of this, but absolutely saying that this can happen. If an, a small organization like Paribar Area can do this, I think large organizations need to step up and do this more and more um, and really with a true intention. Devash, I mean, did it, did it surprise you that during the pandemic that people were willing to, you know, to give money and, and, and to provide support? The, the worry is often that kind of during times of crisis, people, you know, just so inwardly focused, they're not generous. And, and uh, how did that strike you? I, I think um, sometimes we underrate the better nature of our human beings. Um, we, we've seen, so many times in crises when people do step up and um, come from a space of empathy and understanding because we see, we recognize another person's struggle and that is when we want to help some anyone um, in that sense. So I was, over, I was overwhelmed and really uh, amazed by how generous everyone was in those spaces. Um, and a lot of it was because we were able to, what Rimi and Rachna were able to showcase and speak up in several different forums, identify forums and bring to light the challenges that trans folks were facing. Because before that, it was just an invisibilization of their struggles. And it wasn't until Rimi and Rachna went into these forums and spaces and spaces which do not generally welcome or include trans folks and spoke up from a space of both understanding and caring and sharing the, and being vulnerable and sharing that this is what is the reality in India right now. This is what people are experiencing. When people saw that kind of a, you know, heard those stories and realized what was happening, obviously it, it appealed to their sense of, you know, their better selves. Um, and they were very open, very willing to participate, help out and even um, come forward in offering suggestions and offering help in, you know, to help us grow as an organization even. So it's been, um, it's been amazing and, you know, really heartwarming to see uh, how we've rekindled that sense of human connection. 
Remy, you'd mentioned a few times now, you know, uh, Parivar being very grassroots, very small, but doing major lifting and saving lives and, and talked about even how big organizations can step up. Can you, can you say a little bit more about that in terms of how big organizations can support Parivar and who are some of those organizations that we can call up and say, you need to be a part of this? Well, I'm going to call in and call out and call in if, if I can. I think one of the key things for any organization that comes forward to do work for marginalized folks is to have marginalized folks be in the lead. And the, one of the reasons for us to be able to stay effective was to actually reach those folks on the ground, those community leaders who are in far-flung Kashmir or far-flung Assam, which is the Northeastern state, and actually put the trust in them and say, you know your community best. Here's how we can support you. We have 27 of such Sital warriors, as we call them, all over India. They have single-handedly managed hundreds of lists, um, many dozens of drives, so I think any organization, whatever size, needs to start with that. Start with community expertise. And I'm not saying bookish expertise. I'm talking about that real realness. And the second piece is to draw, do a sustainable model. You know, when emergency reliefs happen, even in the U.S., we've seen it. Even in California, we've seen it. It's a one-time deal and it's done. You know, you can't just live one, eat one meal and at least I can't and survive for the whole day. We did a few meals, right? So we have to build processes and programs that are sustainable. And I want to call out on many foundations, whether it's the Hope or Oxfam or many others, such as like, oh no, don't go there, um, that we have reached out to, we have knocked on those doors. And granted, they've done the distributions in such of marginalized folks, but it's not a one and done thing. And I think that's what our community is saying is that, you know, you want to do, you want to help us, help us in the long run. So as, you know, as we are going into our next phase of rehabilitation, we are very intentional in reaching out to those partners again and say, can you help us with livelihood options, you know, and helping our trans folks, startups, micro businesses, small scale industries, skill building opportunities. And there's so much room for other organizations to step in, you know, with the infrastructure, with their last-minute delivery, with network. They can do all of that and if they reach out to the right leaders and right folks. It just doesn't matter if you have all the funds and they just don't go in the right place. And I will also, you know, really uplift organizations that came forward and helped us. And here's where I'll touch on what John was asking earlier. We fundamentally focus on tra saving trans hydro lives through Seethal. So we had fundamental ideological differences from many partners or many few partners, I should say, that came forward, individual celebrities who came forward and helped us. And we were astonished. And so like Aid India, Association of India Development came forward to help us. Uh, Seva International Bharat is a large organization. They have been lockstep with us throughout India. Horizons Foundation has really helped us uplift our voices. There was a high schooler in Dallas who held a musical concert and raised over $4,000 for us. The efforts were just from so many different aspects and angles. And so if a true intention lies with any partner, 
they can definitely show up. Sadana Foundation, for example, helped us deliver, get masks and oxygen to our trans communities. And they're helping us become a 501c3 now. Like, you know, help will come if you can actually uh, connect with the right folks in the community. And I want to tail on to that with if someone or an individual or an organization wants to help you, what's the best way for them to, is it to get you supplies directly? Is it to get you money? Is it to give you connections? Is it to be able to help, uh, you know, on the ground? What, what do you, what's, what do you need the most? What do you need most from them? I'll say all of the above, but the most, important one, <laughs> most important one is connections because it is rather difficult to get something tangible out of here to India. We still have a million masks sitting somewhere on some port. We don't know where it is. Uh, that someone donated. Um, funds always go a long way. But you know, our community wants is that love, is that care, and someone showing up. And we had those people show up. You know, I was on Clubhouse in the very few first days, and I was speaking in a room. And the next minute I know, before the city of Bengaluru went to lockdown, a person that I connected on there actually got on a scooter, went and distributed groceries. Uh, to trans elders who were on the outskirts of the city. No one else could go to that. So there's so many ways to support, you know, marginalized folks if you really have the intention. I'm going to switch gears on all of you. And again, thank you so much for all of your work. Um, but the where I'm going with this is, you know, when COVID-19 broke a couple years ago or so, we had a different presidential administration who really used the origin or the supposed origin of COVID-19 in a very racist way uh, with the increase of Delta variants here in the United States. And there are some places or some people who are calling it you know, the Indian Delta variant. And um, I'm just afraid that history may repeat itself here in America in which people will be discriminated against. We know the wave of anti-Asian violence. Share with us how you feel about this. That's part one of the question. But part two is the significance of working together, people from the United States. And then you have Rachna, who's in India. We were not sharing this kind of information before, which I think led to many deaths here in America. We just did not share what was going on with COVID-19. Who'd like to kick us off? Rachana? Yeah, so it's it's not different in India also. That's what I feel. Only thing uh, which uh, made difference in India is, um, uh, as Anjali correctly said, the COVID barriers actually, who mobilize, who are into the forefront for their communities. It's not only because I, I, I work on a human rights perspective, so there are also other COVID warriors, like in Dalit communities, like in Muslim communities, and also other marginalized communities who are the, you know, change makers actually during COVID. Uh, they came in for a friend. They have get vaccinated first. They have mobilized the food sources first. And they are the people who are on the ground distributing all these things irrespective, like risking their lives. So that's what really has made it change. Um, so I won't feel like um, that um, that uh, 
merely a stigma and discrimination to work on the lines of caste, religion, gender, and sexual orientation has not made people to just not to move, actually. That has, this, that has been a challenge, cultural challenge for the people, but for the leaders, they have been in the forefront to work for their communities, actually. And that's how Anjali stated correctly that we have in Pan-India 27 such warriors across France, you know, warriors who came forward to, to do such work for, you know, communities. So, so political parties are there, their agendas are there, and the hurdles are there. Irrespective of all this, we cross those hurdles. We cross those hurdles to reach our communities and to get the help to our communities. Yeah. I'll take a US lens here for a second and add to what Rachna said. You know, the South Asian struggle is so real. I happened to be on a panel with the new administration during Pride Month. And one of the key things that I brought up was that within the AANPH, if I'm saying that right, you know, diaspora, the South Asian diaspora is often marginalized, often not visible. And I think we have to do it both ways. Um, South Asians have to recognize that they cannot all be, um, and I'm going to generalize grossly, cannot be all existing as white people worshippers or ambiguous whites, as uh, you know, some papers have noted, and become an intentional part of the Asian community. And the other way around, where South Asians be, 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 be seen within the API community, and that's how we educate people, and that's how we stop the hate, stop the Asian hate. That is how we do it, by coming together and being inclusive. The second piece I will say is this huge danger in associating a place of origin with a virus and associating that to a particular racial or ethnic pro profile and the dangers that come of it. But again, that is the human psychology and nature. I came to this country 20 years ago, a month before 9-11 happened, to a place where I was the target. I was a hate crime victim. And... I didn't understand what it meant back then, 20 years ago, what that really meant. But if we say something over and over, it's gonna become the norm. So we have to be very careful and language is so important in that regard. So when everybody started saying the Indian variant, you know, I think the community did a good job of um, thwarting that really quick and said, oh, it's actually the B1617 variant or whatever else that is, because we cannot name countries and, you know, there's many, this is one pandemic we know in our lifetime, how many more pandemics happen from, and they cross the other way around. So uh, I think it's a great point you bring up and we have to be very careful in how we address um, this, this, this language piece. And of course it had, um, go ahead, Devash. Sorry, I was just gonna add on to the second part of your question, Michelle, which is about what could have been learned from the Indian experience here and how perhaps deaths could have been prevented in some ways, which also ties into John, your question earlier about the level of misinformation because communicating both the risks of, uh, the, of, of being unvaccinated while trying to encourage people or incentivize getting vaccines here in the US. I think that was 
the struggle that the um, government, the, that a lot of science communicators were also experiencing, the government was experiencing, because they were also trying to walk this fine balance between getting enough information out to people to convince them to get the vaccines, uh, while encouraging them, while incentivizing the lack of masks as uh, as, as the as the freed as the freedom alternative. Um, Whereas the uh, idea was that even in India, one of the experiences that a lot of people had was that healthcare workers were getting the Delta variant because they were exposed to, they knew that it was a more contagious vax, uh, virus even post-vaccination. Um, so there were things that, there were learnings that could have been translated, um, but still it's, it's a, we are learning as we go with both with the variant, both with how uh, and with how do we communicate effectively and efficiently? And I don't think, I think a standardized approach to communicating, um, because there's been a lot of mixed messaging from the CDC about wearing masks and then going backtracking, that's kind of caused a little bit of this um, hesitation within people, confusion within people too. So there are things that could have been learned and communicated, um, but could haves and should haves are all you know, in the past. It's how do we learn going forward? Here in the United States, we're, of course, going through a surge in this, this Delta variant or, or whatever we're calling it. Um, and India has already kind of moved through that Delta wave. Could you kind of maybe briefly give us a... So what is the status of the, the COVID pandemic in India? Are things kind of starting to open up? Um, are there, you know, we've mentioned uh, the difficulty of getting supplies to underrepresented populations and such, but... As far as the, the the pandemic, the disease itself, are things looking up there? Are they are they getting better, or is it kind of, you know, after Delta comes Delta Plus and Lambda or whatever? So there are news like Delta virus has been like uh, rapidly, you know, spreading across in few states, mostly in Kerala, Maharashtra, and Karnataka, and those states have been declared as red zones. So the moment of in moment in those states can be restricted out of the states or also in within the states also. But apart from that, the uh, in the other states the life is into the normal again, and people are into the offices and again uh, the normal routine is there and they were wearing masks and almost all like uh, seventy to eighty percent everyone have this first dose of vaccine and waiting for their booster dose. And but we are keenly absorbing how this Delta variant because we are very much in the vicinity of those states, Maharashtra and you know Karnataka and Kerala, mostly the southern part of India, uh, whether how uh, they will be spreading to other parts also. So mostly we came to know that like the people who are not vaccinated, even the single dose, are more vulnerable for this you know Delta you know virus. So. So the movement is restricted for now a lot, yeah. I'll just quickly add that India operates on leaving home for many, many folks. You know, 66 to 70% of India is rural. Uh, a large section of the population are migrant workers, including a lot of trans hetero folks who go to different cities and, you know, towns from their home villages to dance, to perform, to you know, ask for arms um, or sex work. And so restrictions have been greatly lifted. Having said that, there's still a lot of vigilance and policing, if I may say, on activities that might 
pull crowds together or kind of, you know, uh, help spread the virus, you know, more rapidly. So all those things are opening up, but with all the caution that Rachna mentioned, this, you know, individual, and that's the difficult part of doing a relief work is all of a sudden there's a curfew, full 24-hour lockdown in one place and another place, you know, is wide open. As we wind down here, um, I'd love for you to just share a couple a couple things, right? This isn't an going back to normal. This is a pretty scary time. There's a lot of uncertainty out there, even if, you know, we're taking two steps forward or one step or one step back. And so I'd like for you to share just a couple things to leave anybody who's going to come across this program with either something you could be doing different or even thinking differently. Um, I think you all have something very important to share. Devesh, we'll begin with you. I think in terms of thinking differently, um, what we need to be doing is, yes, try getting vaccinated. Um, talk to people. Talk to people you trust uh, and have those conversations with people who are, inf are you know, informing themselves through the right sources um, and talk to your medical providers I mean, and make an informed choice about getting the vaccine. And that is one thing we could be doing. Um, and the second thing what we, in this new normal, is also um, thinking about how at least being on Zoom and being remote um, this past one year has kind of made us realize the uh, fact that you know these boundaries are artificial in some ways. Um, they are very man-made. So we can think of a global solidarity, global connections, and how we can be helping people on a broader scale as well. Uh, that's the advantage of technology. Um, so let's use technology for that and not for spreading misinformation. I think that's one thing we thinking of going forward. Remy? You know, I'll just say what we can do differently. At an organizational level, foundations and folks who give out funds need to realize that there are very few that support such programs that are global and cross-country, cross-continent. I can tell you that even, you know, uh, employees of some tech companies like Google, Adobe, my own organization, Constellation Brand, stepped up and supported. But did you know that CETL has been funded by over 3,000 individual donors from $5 to $5,000? Week after week, some folks donated the same amount, raised funds within their own sub-communities. But there was only one foundation that supported us with funds. So we have to recognize that if this program or any such program can sustain, it has to be funded across the globe uh, and because trans people exist anywhere, everywhere. The second piece I'll say, you don't have to do differently, but the folks that stepped up had an, had an individual experience of COVID and we shouldn't have to go through that to realize that we can help someone else. So I challenge every individual to really get out of their seat, get out of their comfort zone stop living their privileged lives or live your privileged lives, I guess, but do something different uh, in bettering this world for every person. And if it's for trans people, you already have my vote. And Rajna. I only say that being a human like COVID has taught us a lot of lessons how to be more sympathetic and empathetic towards the fellow human beings. 
so all the journeys of stigma and discriminations hope will be minimized through these experiences and let be humanistic towards the vulnerable who are not privileged by religion caste creed race and sexuality that's what i feel at the end of the day and uh, being humans we should be humanistic towards our fellow human that's what the covid has taught us john any last words before we end our program i i think those are some nice deep thoughts to end on so why don't you wrap it up yeah um one very last quick technical question and anyone can answer this but if we or somebody who's who's watching right now wants to support join donate where can they find you they can find us at www.parivarbayarea.org and the homepage takes you right to our seethal initiative you can read about it and if you want to get involved there's a get involved page you can click on it you can write to us you can find any one of us three folks any on the net um instagram facebook and you know we have a large community right here in the south uh, san francisco bay area and you know come join us parivar means family so come be part of the family Well, I want to thank you all so much for joining us this afternoon and sharing the work that you do, Devish, Anjali, and Rachana of Sital. You're all uh, Sital warriors, which stands for Save Indian Trans All Indian Lives. I think I got that right. Yes, I didn't even look at my notes. I'm going to be part of that warrior group. And I want to thank all of you for joining us this afternoon for this very important discussion. For all other programs you can head to commonwealthclub.org/mms. John? Just thanks again to our special guests on the Michelle Miao show at the Commonwealth Club of California. Again, uh, you can find both upcoming programs as well as past programs at commonwealthclub.org. Until we see you again, stay safe and have a good weekend. Goodbye.